0: This is Bonjour High, the Bonjour High edition. I'm Avi Fongold in Montreal, and I'm here in Montreal with Alana Zakon and David Sklar in Calgary. We are your frozen chosen. It's Purim this week, and boy, could we use a Purim around here. We will be speaking to Laura Lebo about how funny Canadian Jews really are, and to honor King Achashverosh, who ruled from Hodu until Kush, we convene a roundtable of Jews in the cannabis industry, a holy hotbox, if you must, to get deep into the weeds on all things Jewy and marijuana. Alana, David, it's Purim.
1: That was the best introduction ever to say.
0: <laughs> you were so excited. Come on, this is it, the the material lends itself to to this kind How of discussion. How many
1: hours did you spend trying to come up with all those puns?
0: Twenty minutes this morning. <laughs> come on, They're, okay. Like this is the nature of cannabis is that there are just millions and millions of puns waiting to be like plucked up.
1: All right. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> Have you guys had any? Uh, what's What's been your most memorable Purims of years most past?
1: Memorable. David, do you want to go first? Purim
0: Costumes, well, moments. I'm
2: trying. To, I'm trying to think. Like I, I, the only times I could remember really celebrating Purim a lot was in elementary school, where we would have these big events, and I think the older kids in our school would like put together some kind of activity and games for all of us, and we would have to like give our nickels and quarters and dimes to attend these things. That was. It's all downhill after that, basically.
1: I was trying to remember because we we've been around since last Purim. So I have a story, but now I'm wondering if I already told it last year. Does um, the story of the cow costume ring any bells? No pun intended? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> so when I was in daycare... Are
2: we, are we sacrificing the cows? Not
1: quite. Um, when I was in daycare, um, my mom wanted to make me a costume and made me a papier-mâché cow costume with udders and a bell around my neck, which she thought was the cutest thing ever. And the kids <laughs> in class made so much fun of me all my friends were princesses and mm-hmm. then i came in as a cow with others made of papier-mâché and they were like we're gonna play princess so i went over to them and i was like can i be your cow and they were like no <laughs> so that was pretty traumatizing uh, but to this day my mom's like but it was so cute you looked so cute <laughs> that's my yeah. best so this, story. this
2: is what started Started you all off to sort of say I don't feel like I belong in the community probably. itself. It was the cow incident.
1: It might have been. It might have been the first incident. But I did have some a lot of fun costumes that were less traumatizing and embarrassing uh, over the years. My mom liked to make all of our costumes from scratch. Did you, did you uh, usually have handmade costumes or you went on a bot, we, like Halloween style? There,
0: I think that there weren't nearly as many buyable costumes back Mm. when i was a kid and i don't have like tons of memorable right uh costumes from years past as a kid Mm -hmm. um i mean there was a there was a year my mom made uh, from scratch the the famous cohen gadol costume that my My mom made for me um like really like all the way through and nobody had done this before there's like a big oh yeah we're gonna dress them yeah and so there was that one but i think my memorable and, and to be fair yeah i mean kids love it um my kids have been super excited for Purim Yeah. What are they going to the What are oh, they going to do um, this year? I think we costumes. have we have a princess Leia who, you see, for her first Purim, instead of being a cow because um, her name is Kennerit, um we actually cut out uh, one of the extra jumbo size boxes of special K like with the armholes and like leg that's holes and we were like actually. we made her into to, you know, to a special k um there was a year when she was a kina right those frozen halas and whatever anyways because uh yeah because the year before my wife was a baker with a bun in the oven um
1: that's really funny <laughs> so you know mm-hmm.
0: that was there so so we have a princess leia we have a dorothy um oh, with classic. for which i made um from scratch a pair of ruby slippers um, wow some cool sneakers they are pretty you awesome. made it I made some ruby slippers um, and then we have um, we were going to have a a Mirabelle from from Encanto um, with for the youngest. And she was really excited, but we couldn't find the costume like shipped in time and whatever. Um, And then the the bigger piece was that because I had this big brown oversized hoodie and uh, they wanted me to dress up as Bruno. Uh, you know, by extension to this, you haven't watched Encanto, haven't have you? I haven't seen it yet. Have I've seen the seen trailer. I don't know oh, the names yeah, of the <laughs> characters. <laughs> like, I'm getting these blanks. Abby, when you,
2: when, when you said Mirabelle, I thought they were going as the now defunct airport in north of Montreal. As the,
0: as the airport, I try to say, if you want, I can paint some black lines on you and put some little toy planes on And She didn't even get it. And like adults think this is funny, but nope. Um, have, you seen, have you seen Encanto, David? No, no, I haven't. Oh God. I I've heard it's really
1: yeah. good. No, no, it's on my radar. Okay, I just good. haven't had a chance. Yet. All right.
0: Well, we'll leave the Encanto Talk to another time. Um, so that's, like, that's where the costume, like, this morning, like, she was like, oh, oh can you, like, because Vanahafuchu, right, they're big in this, like, whole, like, Purim is supposed to be topsy-turvy and stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so she gets in the car. She's like, oh, are you going to talk about that? Like, maybe for, for, on, like, the podcast today, instead of calling yourselves the Frozen Chosen, you should have it the reverse. And you should, like, call yourselves as, like, the melted last on the list.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> melted last on the list. Ah, I Right. See. And like, that, that was second. like, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I get this whole, like, we are
0: talking about humor and fun, but we whatever. Um, all my memorable poems were really like as a college student, university, and beyond. Hmm. Um, you know, there was, we used to have these memorable Hillel poem parties, which right. were like, like, open bar $20, and everybody crammed into a tiny, like, club and, went nuts and had an insane amount of fun. Um, there was a memorable year where I dressed up as a goth. Oh, um, are there went, photos? Uh, there are photos. Um, we will, uh, maybe we'll share those another time. Uh, and uh, a or friend of mine, time. this is actually very appropriate to this week's uh, discussion. Uh, uh, a friend of mine who was in the band who uh, shall not be named, Um, but is a uh, member of the community uh, was in the band and uh, nobody had told him that the plate of brownies that somebody had passed along to the band um, were um, spiked were spiked so to speak and he um, and he had been hungry because he'd been fasting all day because the fast of Esther (laughs) is the day before and he (laughs) ate the whole like the whole tray or something like that and then he says they started playing and I've heard this story multiple times and I've told this so many times it's such a like he says and then I see you in the front of the the stage and I, I know that you're Avi Feingold but I see you're dressed up and I'm like I think you're the devil and as soon as the set <laughs> is over you're gonna like eat my heart out right you're gonna like cut it out and eat it and like that's, that's horrifying and he's like so we played the longest set of my life because I just kept wanting to play more songs because <laughs> Avi Feingold was still dancing like crazy in the front of the stage and I wasn't on the greatest trip ever Um so you know those were the kinds of poems that we um, oh used my. to have we used to have these pretty much uh, off the I, there were Purim costumes. I, I went. Used to go very heavy on the makeup. Like yeah. I had friends that were in the makeup industry, and so they would dress me up. And this is before things were um, acceptable. I do absolutely regret. I would never do this again. Um, I mean, there were things that were that you we don't do anymore. Like I dressed up as a geisha one year. Um, right. I, I made a very very attractive geisha. Um,
1: <laughs> again, we need pics, but at this um, point, maybe you don't want to get canceled <laughs> by the world.
0: Yeah. And, you know, there was stuff like that. But um, like I said, I, I, I regret it. I I openly regretted this happened 25 years ago when it was a lot more acceptable. And, um, uh, you know, it wasn't blackface. I don't know if that's good good (laughs) or
2: not. You weren't, you weren't pulling a Justin Trudeau. No, you know what? Yeah. I, I don't I don't know if it was my best Purim itself. It was my most drunkenness Purim. It was in Jerusalem. I was living there at the time. And I went in Rome, right? You just drink to your heart's content. And I remember being plastered. I woke up the next day. I needed a full day to recover after the Purim events because because they go hard and they go crazy in Jerusalem for this What holiday. does it
1: look like? Like what, what was e- the vibe?
2: Everybody was out. Everyone was out secular, orthodox Jew, everybody was drinking, the streets were littered. It was it was such a fun, fun party. Like the whole city took part and in the revelry. It was it was a wonderful um twelve hours
0: of inebriation. There you go. Okay, you guys ready for Goth Avi?
1: Yes. Oh wow, you pulled that up. Yes. Whoa. That doesn't that looks very realistic. I'd buy that you were. Like a music artist or something.
0: Yeah, that's very good.
1: Yeah. How um, old are you there?
0: Uh, probably 22. twenty-two.
1: Twenty-one. Uh, for uh, those who can't there. see the picture, <laughs> Avi's making like a sultry, kind of like album cover goth face. Okay.
0: And, and this is the one that will never get published, right? Right there.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> right, um,
0: right. This is what happens when you're friends with drag queens. You get um, makeup like that. Yeah. That's all be that. said. That's David, good. do you wanna? You have a reaction. So, um, no. yeah.
2: it's a good, it's a good thing. We are, our, our listeners cannot see what, what Avi is showing us right
0: now.
4: There we go. <laughs>
0: on that note, um, Purim is upon us, uh, but Passover is, uh, not too far behind. Alana, yeah. we have an event that we're doing together.
1: We do have an event we're doing together and I would love it if I, we could meet some of you and you can also get something out of it too. We're doing a Passover boot camp. So on March 23rd, it's going to be an interactive 90-minute uh, session that Avi is going to host with the Moishe House that I'm living at in Toronto. And you can learn about how to host your own Seder. Um, what other things can you learn about?
0: Well, it's going to be basically like how to... It's more of a Seder boot camp than a Passover boot camp in general. But it basically, like, if you've never led a Seder before, um, from the practical you know cooking and preparing side to the how to you know pick a Haggadah that people will be comfortable with and how to pick parts of the Haggadah that you want to focus on and other ones that you may want to skim over um, and just really get into how um, a Seder gets planned and executed in a meaningful and pain-free relatively pain-free way um, I've been doing these for years and I'm so excited to be doing this with Moshe House um, and uh, come learn how to lead a Seder
1: David are you gonna come you should come
0: I'm
2: going to try. I know that I, uh, I have a bit of work right before that. I'm going to. I might make the, ah. the, ta- the tail end of it. So if I can come like right for Chagodya, I'll be happy.
1: We're not doing the seder. We're learning about it. You no. didn't hear anything that he just said, did you?
2: <laughs> I heard everything. And if you're learn- and if you're teaching a seder, you have to teach Chagodya and the other songs at the end.
1: I don't. It's not a Whew. singing workshop, but we'll take in your notes for consideration.
2: That's the most important part of the seder.
1: I agree, but that's irrelevant to this event. Anyhow, we will post a link in the show notes. Uh, Maybe you'll meet David. Maybe you'll meet him for a few minutes. Maybe he'll be dressed as a goat. Who knows?
0: (laughs) Do we have a papier-mâché goat that we can give for uh, David? (laughs) (laughs) Because then we will do (laughs) the god. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Go, go, goat. Here we go. For for David and his uh, recreational therapy uh, clients. Uh, Anyways, Passover boot camp.
1: Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Montreal, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in watches and custom-designed jewelry, along with a curated selection of designer jewelry. Visit us online or in person, and Eric Goldberg will help make your jewelry dreams come true. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Montrechai listeners using BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order at atelierlou.com.
0: Okay, listen, we all know Jews are funny but are Canadian Jews funny? And are the only funny Canadian Jews the professionals, you know, like the comedians and the rabbis, right? We needed the answers to these burning questions and get a sense of what's funny these days. So we invited Laura Lebo on to discuss.
4: But yeah, this is a, a very sad story. I um, I wasn't given the tits of, of my people. You know, I wasn't given like those nice, you know, those nice big Jew tits. You guys know these? Big ol' big Jew tits. Purely functional, you know those tits? Giant, nothing sexual about them. Just meant to like feed a Polish village. Shtetl titties, you know what I didn't, you know, my mom got them, my sister, my baby, like everybody except me. I, it's because I, I didn't have a, a bat mitzvah. And so uh, that punished me. For those of you that don't know, a bat mitzvah is a Jewish ceremony uh, where you become a woman in the eyes of God. Uh, and some of your uncles and um, just some just some and I didn't have it so you know when God was like going around doling out Jew tits to everybody uh, he passed over my house and uh, I got stuck with these little Hitler tits And that
0: is the story of Passover. Uh, Laura's a comedian and a host of several podcasts on the CJN network, including a few of my favorite Jews and "Won't You Be My Rabbi," um, which uh, had as its guest one of my favorite Jews, um, my wife, Rachel Cole, Rabbi Rachel Kohl Feingold. Laura, happy Purim, and welcome to Bonjour Chai.
4: Happy Purim, and thank you for having me. I love that you included rabbis. You're like, but is it only the comedians? Well, comedi- duh, because
0: nobody the the thinks rabbis and the are rabbis?
4: Funny. Well, I guess rabbis are professional Jews. Is that how you'd qualify them? Yeah, I just That's th- what I think of them. Yeah,
0: but I was just saying that, like, I think that rabbis always think that they are funny and they, I'll be the first one to admit, as a rabbi, they rarely are. Um, um, the, the worst thing are the rabbis that actually try to do the stand-up bits for, oh, like, for like, that's the worst. You know, Oh, yeah, I'm going to do my five-minute bit this time. Oh. I'm going to do it as a fundraiser at the annual, oh. like, gala or something. But you know
4: what? That is so Jewish that, like, if you have any access to a stage, a.k.a. a platform that's slightly higher than other people, you're going to make it count and you're going to try material.
1: That's so true.
0: I mean, that's why I started Bonjour Chai.
1: <laughs> Needed an outlet.
2: <laughs> Just as a way for you to try out your comedy routines.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
2: No? Well, then, you know what? I want to know. I want to launch right into it. An, and Laura, I want to know, you know, we always have this tradition, this Jewish stick shtick humor. You know, which has been here for so long, but does it still resonate today with contemporary audiences? Like, is Jewish hu- what does Jewish humor look like today?
4: That is a great question. I mean, if Jewish humor is uh, what do Jewish comedians generally talk about, and and what resonates with audiences, Jewish and otherwise, it's certainly lost some of its um, like truly old school Borshel Jewish vibe um a lot of jewish comics i know they'll talk about uh they'll talk about being jewish they'll make jewish jokes but the style is a lot more like sort of subdued and alternative um there are still a few great great jewish comics doing like real shticky stuff but it doesn't feel it feels a bit more like ironic or they're sort of like alluding to a pastime as opposed to like coming by it really honestly and organically um
2: like they're making fun of their grandparents. Kind of. Like
4: they're making fun of their grandparents or like, even if they're doing it earnestly, you're like, how how could you possibly sound like that? Like, what shtetl did you just travel from that you really like organically sound like that? I, I think it works, but it's it's certainly rare. Mm-hmm.
1: Who are some of your favorite local or
4: Canadian Jewish comics? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I would say local slash from Canada um, Sophie Buttle, Nick Nemroth, um, Robbie Hoffman, I think is actually originally from the States and then came here and then went back, but, uh, lost they're all one. very lost. Another one. That's the thing. Uh, it's, it's a bummer to be a comedian in Canada uh that that is the canadian uh, comedian ideal didn't
0: elon gold get his big start at just for laughs a lot of of jewish comedians get their start at just for laughs no in montreal like elon gold and all the other yeah they get their start
4: at just for laughs but in a way where it's like uh once you get dressed for laughs then you can move to the states you know yeah
0: are there famous non-jews that do jewish humor that you know of that's actually funny
4: Either Canadian or not. Ooh, are there non-Jews that do Jewish humor that is actually funny?
1: I feel really uncomfortable when non-Jews do, like, Jewish jokes in their sets. I'm like, why are you? No. Like, this is not your property. Don't but talk about absolutely. it. Sugar,
0: Sugar Sammy does, like, stuff about the Jews in Montreal, and, like, I think that he does it in a respectful, tasteful way because he has a lot of friends that are Jewish.
4: What do you think, Laura? I mean, I'm uh, the first thing that popped into my head when you asked that is I know a comedian. She's really funny. I won't name her. Um, she had a Jewish boyfriend. He's alive. They just broke up. Um, and... She did some jokes about him that were like just on the line. She's really funny and so it It's works. funny because
0: to her family, to his family, she was dead right when they started dating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's But um, they had a full shit Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go.
4: That's very We'll give you funny. one
1: rabbi comedy point.
4: <laughs> sure. Do you want to keep up um, yeah, or on. should I? Um <laughs> um I don't know. I'll I'll get out a whiteboard. Perfect. Okay, we got one. Um yeah, it was it's it's a it's a good bit, but it does I don't know if it makes me uncomfortable to be to be fully transparent. It makes me like, uh, that's for that's my joke. Like you know, just I I I want access to this material. It's mine, you know. You you leave it alone just because I want the material. I don't really I don't know if I'm offended, but I just want it for myself. Mm. Okay.
2: Now, Laura, do these things? You know, right now we're in an age where you know comedians are always getting canceled or, or called out for something that they may have said ten years ago. That you know we can pull a clip on YouTube that you may have posted and sort of said, Oh my God, can, can you believe what Lara just said? Are you worried in this day and age with things that you're saying now about being canceled or about
4: being called out? I try and be as offensive as possible in all moments of my life so that you just know off the bat (laughs) what to expect. So you know what I have found? The people who get called out the most are the people who, um, who aren't super, edgy or offensive and then something from their past gets trudged up mm. and it's like, so and so? If you just are um, treacherous at all times, no one really cares what you do. So I'm not that worried. <laughs> so
0: so you, have no, you have no limits. Can you make Holocaust jokes?
4: Um, okay. I mean, in terms of Jewish material, I have zero limits because that, that's, as you said, my domain, my property, my identity. Like, I, I feel like I can say and do whatever I want. Certainly with other identities that don't belong to me, I'm going to leave that alone. Not even because I'm worried about being offensive, but just because I'm not the best person to talk about that, you know?
0: Can you can you give us your most offensive, like, Holocaust joke right now? Uh,
4: I'm not going to get into the full joke, and I actually don't even do it anymore. But I used to have a bit. It somehow it, I somehow segued into this idea that Hitler had a string of bad relationships with Jews, like Jewish men. And that's why the Holocaust started. And then there was something about... Him having side bangs and, like, getting bangs because he had a bad breakup. Honestly, it's been years. Um, But it didn't – it wasn't resonating with people, so I stopped doing it. Anyhow, I don't really do a lot of Hitler Holocaust stuff anymore. I'll allude to it because, like, how can you not,
1: as a Jew, allude
4: to the Holocaust?
1: I really don't – I'm probably, like, the one of the three of us who, like, I really don't like Holocaust jokes, like especially when they come from non-Jews. Like that bit in Mrs. Maisel when she does like that Hitler joke at a party. And I'm like, this is so inappropriate. And also like this show takes place so few years after the holocaust like no one would be making these jokes and also like mrs mazel you're not actually jewish so like please stop i could get into
4: the whole mrs mazel not actually being jewish subject for a long time a same, Lani, same. you laughed
0: at my holocaust joke though did i oh yeah come on don't you remember <laughs> no okay okay laura <laughs> knock knock who's there the holocaust
4: the holocaust who you
0: you said you'd never forget
4: all right. It's not like a laughy. It's like a
1: oh, I get it. <laughs> oh, it's, David's it's laughing. Sh- it's sticky. It's, it's sticky. sticky. it's sticky. It's,
4: it's sticky. sticky. It's, it's sticky.
0: sticky. Yeah. Okay, but
2: but here's the thing. You know, when we talk about Holocaust jokes in Israel, they're they're huge, right? Like anytime an Israeli misses the bus or any time they stub their toe, you know what they say? They say "Eze Shoah," which means "Ugh, oh, what a Holocaust."
1: Well, Israelis have a very different approach can to we? life. <laughs> uh,
2: can we as North American Jews do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a whole other vibe out there. I
4: mean, I also just think it's, like, personal preference. Um, It is certainly an uncomfortable subject and a a dark subject. And if you're not comfortable joking about it or or hearing jokes about it, that would be extremely reasonable. Extremely reasonable. It's just some kind of weird, I don't know, I guess it's just, like, the inherited trauma thing. It, like, lives in my bones. And so I just, if I can just spew jokes about it, Mm. it feels a little bit. It's like a release. It's a release. Release mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Like Purim right purim is the release valve for society right it's that one day every culture has this um as a day where you get to let go right it's mardi gras it's carnival it's uh i don't know i mean it's not really that's a made-up holiday cinco de mayo but let's be honest it's that kind of same sort of vibe um but cultures all have this as a way to like let go and i think that that happens in in humor as well that like you need this release to to make it work yeah
1: so Laura, you have a new podcast coming out. Can you tell us about it? Sure. It's called Shticks and Giggles.
4: Speaking of the shtick,
0: which is way better than the 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 other uh, alternate title for it, which would have been Lolocaust. <laughs> I'm guessing no. I
4: actually wrote like three lalpuns, <lol songs, laughs> <Is> it- <laughs> and somehow that never crossed my mind. And I'm disappointed in myself. It's uh, it's me uh, talking to Jewish comedians about what it means to be a Jew, a comedian, and a Jewish comedian. What the Jewish comedy identity is, if there is one, if there isn't one, uh, if if Jews, if younger Jews like use their Judaism on stage a little bit less than than older Jews, um, well, we'll have a theme every week. We'll chat around it. It'll just honestly be a lot of schmoozing.
1: That's that's the gist. Cool. And our these are. Stand-up comedians or all different We're types gonna of We're going to keep it broad.
4: We're going to keep it broad. Stand-up um, sketch, as my producer said, potentially mimes. So, you know. Also oh. also
0: a rejected title, right? Keeping it broad with Laura Lee. Keeping it broad that with not, Laura <laughs> Lebo. <not> a-
4: <laughs> or mime talk, which was just going to be me and mimes. Uh, but we scrapped that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know I can picture that. The mime responds. The audience has no idea what they're going to say. It's perfect for a yeah, it's podcast. Yeah, just me platform. talking and
4: describing, uh, describing what's happening in front of me. Exactly. Excellent.
0: Well, Laura, I cannot wait. Um, based on your previous podcasts, um, I imagine that these will be uh, just as good, if not better, um, and a lot of fun. And I can't wait to hear the bits that you've selected for us uh, that are going to be uh, have already started and going to be continue to be scattered through uh, the rest of this podcast. Laura Libo, thank you for joining us on Bonjour Chai, and uh, come back anytime. Thank you. If you like this segment and uh, want to hear more Laura Libo and other uh, great Jewish comedy, uh, stay tuned to the CJN for the premiere of Shticks and Giggles, Laura Lebo's new podcast, uh, coming up very soon. And now, here's Juno-nominated comedian Nick Nemiroff. So I wrote
2: another Hitler joke. <laughs> Hitler was also actually a uh, a grammar Nazi.
5: <laughs>
2: he,
6: uh, he killed my grammar <laughs> and also
5: <laughs> my grandpa. <laughs> and. Uh,
2: I will say, I will say that joke feels disrespectful. But I know, I know, if my grandparents could see the smile on your guys' faces right now,
5: they would do it all over again. (laughs)
0: the past three Purim's, cannabis has been legal in Canada. But as our guests will likely tell you, cannabis has been part of Canadian Jewish life for far longer than that. And we wanted to get beyond the stereotypes of the Jewish summer camp stoner and explore the state of Jews and cannabis in Canada today. And so aiding us in this endeavor are Abby Roach, a cannapreneur, former owner of the Hotbox Lounge in Toronto, and current senior manager for product initiatives for the Ontario Cannabis Store as well as Idun Walk and Lenny Kerman, co-founders of Oi Vapes, a cannabis vape brand that celebrates Jewish culture and inclusivity. Welcome all to Bonjour Chai.
7: Shalom. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Abby, so... uh, You've been in the industry for quite a while. Can you give us a brief history about how our people have been a part of the cannabis movement as activists and as consumers?
3: Yeah, so I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood in North York. I've been uh, smoking weed with uh, my Jewish friends since I was a young child. Um, You know, and growing up, there's And coming into uh, you know, my activism and, and my entrepreneurship, there were so many Jewish uh, people and people that I grew up with that ended up in, uh, in the community. Uh, there were doctors, Jewish doctors that were fighting for medical cannabis. There were Jewish activists. Um, you know, there were lots of Jewish business owners. Um, there's also Jewish politicians that really supported uh, what we were doing. And now that it's legal those same people are still in the industry and are still moving the industry forward. You
0: guys are clearly bringing your Jewish identity into this. How did you decide that Oy Vapes was going to be a distinctly Jewish brand and that you were going to bring your Jewishness into the cannabis space? Well,
8: just to give you a little bit of backstory. So um, when I was living in Israel um, throughout university, um, I was bartending at the the Ritz Carlton. And a really interesting experience for me was... uh, over, over Passover. So essentially the Ritz Carlton in Israel, since we were part of the opening team, it was the first fully kosher Ritz in the world. Um, so, you know, we had the Keshchut going, going through the hotel every day, all the time, um, you know, we ended up becoming pretty good friends with them. But it was funny over Passover, the only spirit that we had for the bar, our Ritz Carlton bar was Trump vodka, which obviously holds other implications now. But that was the only thing that folks could drink. So I, you know, it was, it was so frustrating for me. And it's funny, you know, we, you look at a lot of uh, the data that doesn't really exist on a certain market right now. It doesn't necessarily mean that those folks aren't there. So I think a big thing for, for us when we wanted to create Oy Vapes was to create a brand that really speaks to, to Jews, but also re- it's something that's inclusive as well, too, and, and be able to, you know, promote and educate um, about our beautiful culture.
1: What does that look like? Weed that speaks to Jews. What does that entail? Well,
8: it, well, it's so even, even as far as the spirits, like will go back to, to the Ritz, like, you know, a lot of the companies, they could have, you know, had their, their brand on the bar, but they didn't necessarily go the extra mile to have all of the certifications in place. So it's kind of just taking the guesswork for a lot of folks, because, you know, whether that's going back to the, the genetics of where we're sourcing the flour from, making sure the nutrients are all you know uh, passing the, the Keshehood? All of the, all of the steps. It's just you know it's something that we're you know we're passionate about. We want to and check all those boxes and, and make sure that people don't have to you know second guess and and you know and be able to ha- to launch uh, maybe a not so popular Gefilte fish strain for the, the the masses, but something that would be novel and fun for for a certain portion of the population as well, too.
0: Do you you see gefilte fish going off the shelves? I would be Uh, very down to try the gefilte gefilte fish
2: (laughs) flying off the shelves at the OCS.
3: Yeah, just to add on to what Dan was saying, um, you know, the category manager for vape sent me over the deck and he's like, check this out. What do you think? And it really spoke to me right away. I was like, you know, like the marketing was hilarious. I was like, yeah, this is like totally Jewish. It's totally hilarious. I love it. From the shirts to like the, the name, um, you know, and then also the names of, of the genetics. So, you know, from a branding perspective, as somebody who looks at thousands of cannabis products on a daily basis, um, you know, I think from a branding perspective, they really kind of hit the nail on the head of, uh, of speaking to a Jewish consumer just from, from that humor side of it as well, and, and just that lighthearted uh, sort of Jewish humor that we all have.
2: Now, I'm I want I'm curious. Now, cannabis has been pretty much used in sort of ancient Israel for rituals, for spiritual connection, and, and possibly even a way to connect with the divine. Have any of you found that marijuana aids? you in finding any kind of deeper connection to your jewish values at all um,
7: for for me it's not so much about you know connecting to my jewish values but it certainly allows me to to have a different perspective of things uh, in the world which which i think is itself uh, somewhat jewish you know we're always talking about you know it, it's always It's one of the key tenants towards at least how I see Judaism when I was going to school was always about how we need to look at other people's perspectives of how they see us, you know, how we see the world and what have you. I think that that was part of that creation of the brand aspect is that we recognize that the Jewish community is so well represented in the licensed producer and Canadian cannabis network at a corporate level, yet we're not necessarily represented on the brand side of things. And, and, and we felt that being a little bit light, being a little bit more fun, we're, we're providing that different perspective to the rest of the community. So, so for me, it's not something that necessarily connects me to God but or, or my, my traditional values, but it has been something that has allowed me to at least take a moment, take a beat and and look at other people's perspectives, uh, which I think is one of the major key tenets towards Judaism.
0: Am I am I safe in assuming, Abby, that there are not many other um, subcultures or communities that are deliberately like thinking about um, their community at, within and and bringing this into the cannabis space? Like, are, are there are there Christian um, cannabis companies? Are there Italian? Communities that are like saying, like, we this is an Italian thing to be doing. Like, what is it about Jews that feel the need to justify? Uh, our cannabis consumption with like deep Jewish values or however it is that we want to think about it?
3: I, I think that there's a lot of communities that are not represented within the cannabis brands that are out there. And that's just because of the newness of the industry. Um, you know, for it's a kind of a nascent legal industry where it's been around for a really long time. So even if you look at, at BIPOC communities or, or the gay community, like they're not really, they don't really have their own brands either. So I, I think you'll see over the next couple of Years, the segmentation of, of canvas brands really, really getting defined and refined as companies really start to look at the niches of their consumer bases, right? So whether it's a, it's a company geared towards Judaism or or the gay community or you know whatever else, not it's important that companies really be able to refine their segmentation. Um, I think you know I always say less is more in terms of uh, sure product,
0: but I mean like as 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 Jews something that I find is that we're always looking, right? And I don't see this necessarily outside in other communities. This is one of those things we're always looking to say, oh my God, yeah, but, but my Judaism and my, 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 my weed use is totally the one and the same, and it makes me more spiritual. I don't think that we, I don't imagine that a lot of Christians are, are, are infusing their Christianity with, with their cannabis use or anything else, but there's something Jewish distinctly Jewish. and I'm sure you, you you've you've witnessed this, no?
3: I think it's a sense of community as well. like can, a lot of of cannabis ritual is a sense of community and a sense of being with others that are alike. And I think the Jewish community has a lot in you know, a lot of relationship to that where we always look for, you know, our small community and people who are like us and we can relate to. So there's definitely a, a assemblism there.
0: it's interesting uh, if I could follow up to that. I had a friend who um had a whole theory about why Jews are really into fish and into Bruce Springsteen and other bands that are specifically have these like huge fan bases. And I said, well, Jews are really, uh, very communal by nature and they tend to go after bands that have these types of communities and where the concert feels like it's ritualized and it's communal because we speak the language of ritual and we speak the language of community in a very, um, you know, it's just ingrained in us. And so this really speaks very much. There's a strong parallel in that and that there is cannabis ritual, and th- there is another community that we feel and you don't do it alone. It's a, Cannabis is not usually an alone drug. It's more of a, it's, it's more of a social, social. Oh, yeah. And,
8: and, and kind of to, to echo what you're saying there, Abby, you know, for me personally um, with my, my cannabis use um, it was tricky for me, especially going to university in Israel, half of my family is Israeli. I'm Israeli. Um, but also to find that identity aspect because I find that like, cannabis has really helped me in that regard. Um, for a lot of folks, you know, wouldn't consider me Jewish because my mother's not Jewish. Wait, but no? as a, Get off the I show. absolutely <laughs> no, totally I'm, kidding, totally I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> exactly. I'm like hiding over here, hide over here. <laughs> but um, but but it's it's funny, you know, it's interesting because a lot of my my closest friends from university um in Israel and you know have bringing back that social aspect, you know, consuming cannabis together. A lot of my friends, even you know, people who were studying within Chabad, you know. Judaism is such a beautiful culture because it's an identity. It's it's what you hold and it's and that's, you know, again, you know, trying to loop things in with whether that's with branding or anything, it's trying to create that community and and, and open up a platform for education, you know, like this is something that's for folks like us, but also it's a it's, it's an easy avenue, it's a door that we can open for to bring people in and explain to them as like, oh, why is gefilte fish something that's interesting to you, you know, like that sounds disgusting, you know, but just to kind of have these avenues and these parallels here. Um, with something that's really important to us. And
2: being from Israel yourself, I'm sure you're aware of the stereotypes of, you know, after three years of serving in the military, a bunch of the Israelis go off to like Thailand or Cambodia, smoke a lot Mm -hmm. of drugs, really try to reconnect. But what is what is the state of marijuana in the country Israel right now for people who are not familiar?
8: Well, so, so for me, I was actually I was born in Canada and I um, lived in, in, in Israel for uh, throughout university, but half, half my family there. But yeah, it's funny. Well, like, whilst I was at school there, like that's honestly really where it opened my eyes to cannabis. There would be medical grows that were a, a block away from the university. Um, people, you know, recreationally, obviously it wasn't permitted, but medicinally already back then, you know, over 10 years ago, people were taking um, cannabis medicinally and it was just kind of, even if you were stopped on the street and you had cannabis, like you wasn't even a slap on the wrists compared to what we have here in Canada back then before legalization. So, you know, Israel has been always so far advanced medicinally. Um, Even today with, with, uh, with medical studies, you know, a lot of like the big cannabis LPs, a lot of their, their studies are coming from Israel because they've just been doing it for the, for longer um, and they have that much more funding that's geared towards that.
0: Is Israel the place where people make a Bore Samim on their, uh, when they? <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, about,
8: I'm not too sure. i be the fifth,
3: but I know Israel is very close to uh, decriminalization legalization. Um, it went once through their uh, through their parliament, and it it almost passed. And I think they're doing some revisions right now, and uh, it should be tabled again, from what I understand. So hopefully, yeah. in the next couple of years, you'll see uh, real progression in Israel. Yeah,
8: mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you if you've seen in the news. Uh, there's uh, there's this, this group of people that they uh, I don't know if there's a soft sponsorship with the grow up there but they have a drone that flies in Tel Aviv it's like every month or something like that and they'll just drop thousands of little grand baggies on it with like smiley faces in it and I remember you know you would be walking yeah. in the streets and people it was dangerous because people were like running in the middle of the streets to kind of collect all of these bags but this was happening you know 10 years ago
0: it's, I feel like uh, that but... drone is going to be called the messiah
3: cannabis activism.
1: <laughs> so I'm getting yeah. the impression that it's more widely accepted, I guess, to be using cannabis in Israel. Is that right? I, I, yeah? I found
8: it there. Yeah, I mean, um, especially, you know, whilst uh, in university, I thought it was even just talking to my family there and, and friends and uncles and aunts. You know, it was something that's been very uh, normalized well before it was in Canada.
1: Right. And so what's been your experience like comparing Canada to Israel? And this could be a question for Abby, too, because I you're you grew up in Israel, too. Right. Yeah. What do you find the relation? Yeah. The the relationship in the Jewish community between Jews and, and cannabis, how is it different over in Canada?
3: It's funny. I haven't been to Israel in six years. I think the last time I went was about six years ago. It was really hard to find weed, actually. And uh, that was uh, one of the big adventures of uh, calling my cousin and getting her to call her friends. And it was quite a big adventure to find uh, some some hash down there, but uh, without a medical card. Um, But what's interesting here is that my parents were, you know, 70 and 75 respectively. Um, You know, 20 years ago when I opened my first shop, it was a huge thing that, that you know, that I was in cannabis and I, and I smoked cannabis and oh my God, right? And as the years progressed and, and I started going on the news and, and being more public, um, all of a sudden my parents' friends all start coming out of the closet and they're, yeah. all, they're all pot smokers. So it's really funny how, you know, um, when they were uncomfortable with being open, you know, 20 years ago, 22 years ago, all my parents' friends were on my parents' state of mind of like, you know this is bad this is drugs it's bad and then as the years progressed their friends started coming out and as, as cannabis consumers and then my mother actually changed her tune and don't say this to anyone but she actually voted liberal uh for Trudeau in order for it to become legalized so her daughter could legally uh work so <laughs> So it was just, uh, it was just like a funny, um, a funny evolution. And I always said when I was an activist, it's like you know, it, it, the 25 percent of Canadians that consume cannabis voting for cannabis legalization is is not a big thing. But when it's the rest of society, the people who don't consume, when they change their vote and start to agree, that's when the laws will progress. And now look at us three years later. Um, so hopefully, the Israeli society will also sort of coming out of the closet, as I like to call the grow closet, will also change um, their political landscape and legalization will come there as well. I think Canada legalizing was a huge step uh, for the rest of the world. Absolutely.
8: 100%. I think the legalization in Canada is, proves to be a pretty wonderful model for many, many countries. Um, and I think Israel, I hope Israel isn't, isn't far behind.
0: What has changed over the past three years with legalization? I mean, I know that uh, I can see that stigma is a lot less, um, has been taken away to, to a great extent um, in the vast majority of the Jewish community. I, I, I was only able to speak about my community. So over the past few days, I've been asking a lot of uh, friends and colleagues from different uh, areas of the Jewish world, like what was like cannabis use like in their communities? And I'm hearing numbers very close to what the um, average would be for the average, like, you know, population in Canada in general Um, somebody told me yeah you go to that synagogue 20% of this of the people there are smoking and and I said but how many of them are talking about it and he's like you know maybe maybe 1% of that 20% are actually open and willing to talk about the fact that this is what they do um, and that it's just part of their lives and he says but there's so many more people that will go out and buy it and just use it and have a a close circle of friends that they'll do it with or just with their partner or whatever it is and um, and I found that interesting that within the Orthodox community there's still a lot of stigma attached um, to it um, and with me Maybe within the larger Jewish community, um, although I'm hearing on the other side that, you know, you go to the progressive, really left spiritual communities, um, and there is much more cannabis use than even alcohol use. So, um, you know, what has happened? Like I said, it's a long preamble to that original question. What's happened in the past three years to change um, the way that Jews approach cannabis in Canada?
3: I think legalization 100% help. Having something be legal, you're not breaking the law. So the stigmatization of, of being a criminal is, is gone. Um, you know, you're legally purchasing your cannabis, you're walking into a store, you're paying with a credit card, um, you know, you're speaking to someone openly about it. Um, it doesn't feel like, you know, it doesn't feel criminal. Um, and when you talk to somebody and they, you know, if, if they have a stigma about it, it's kind of their problem right now because what you're doing is 100% legal. So it's not really uh, your fault for doing uh, what you enjoy. It's someone else's uh, problem that they are disagreeable with it. Um, so I think it's kind of turned the tables, you know, um, in a, in a serious positive way for, for cannabis consumption, which allows people to, again, you know, just be more open about their cannabis consumption and not be, um, you know, not be ashamed of it and not feel like a criminal.
8: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think, you know, um, as, as things progress too, you know, the, the more we have brands that kind of resonate with people, that'll really uh, help them open up into discovering their consumption. You know, within the first three years of legalization, and I'm sure Abby can attest to this, you know, you have a plethora of brands that are all screaming from the top of their lungs that we have the strongest weed you know, like uh, the highest DHC, like, you know, but it doesn't really, the brands don't.
0: But that's not good marketing for Jews. No, right? no. If you go to Bathurst and, and, Bathurst and Wilson and you want to sell weed, you say, we have some pretty lightweight yeah, yeah. weed that might get you a little bit comfortable, but we don't want to get you too crazy.
8: Yeah, exactly. But people, that's the thing, right? Like no, Nobody can relate to that. So, you know, I think, and it's kind of like with every industry, you know, it's the same thing with alcohol, everything kind of needs to go that more boutique, a tailored approach to who are you actually trying to appeal to because and that's a, a common issue with all of these big companies when you try to appeal to everybody you appeal to nobody so if you take the approach of you know having that target market and you know if you know and that's what we're trying to do with all the brands that we launch is you know do one thing and do it really well and stand behind that you know i don't want to go into a sushi restaurant and buy a pizza like that's just not you know I don't think or, that's or a
0: pizza shop and buy sushi, yeah, exactly. which you've happens clearly... at every single kosher <laughs> yeah, yeah. restaurant.
1: I was going to say, you've clearly <laughs> never been to any kosher yeah, yeah, restaurant, yeah. dear. <laughs> 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 but, yeah.
8: but, you know, we're really trying to to create a, uh, a platform for people to ask those questions. So, you know, it, and, and show them that it is okay to smoke or to bring a vape to Shabbat and ask Safta, hey, you want to like... Try this, it's okay, it's legal, and have
0: something for them that, you know, take out I was totally thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have this we have this conversation in the in these in the uh, CJN like channels of like talking like within the and and I always want to talk about how oh the the High is, you know, it's not your bubby's CJN, <laughs> right? As in like, you know, we want to be younger and like show that we're and it's bad branding to say not your bubbi's this or whatever. But like there should be weed for your bubby, yeah. like, you know, that's light, that's like nice, a good entry level like cannabis, right? Weed. A lot
3: of a lot of uh, senior population really gravitates towards uh, like CBD oils and capsules and things that they're more comfortable with in terms of consumption. Um, You know that which is why edibles are seen when people are again. There's a big stigma about about how you consume as well. Smoking is bad. Edibles are good. Capsules are good. Oils are good because it's like medicine and food we do every day. But smoking is bad. So uh, there's a lot of stigma there. That we have to break down as well, but the senior population really seems to gravitate uh, towards you know your CBD oils and and then they gradually add a little bit of THC because again there's stigma about THC whereas THC is bad because it gives you euphoria and CBD is good because it doesn't which is totally false you always need a little bit of THC with mm-hmm. your CBD but that's a different conversation yeah. <laughs> um, but. There's a lot of stigma within cannabis itself um, that was created by regulations almost um, and not being able to discuss openly. So, again, I think once we we continue down the road of legalization and, and we can explain to people how cannabis works with your endocannabinoid system and on and on, um, all those stig- stigmas will start to break down. But the senior population definitely seems more comfortable with with what is um, a daily thing that they would usually do, like eat, drink, take a pill, pop an oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I don't know if, David, you want to jump in or Alana, but uh, I, I'm only going to speak for myself. But I, I know that I never really smoked anything cigarettes or anything else and so it was hard for me to start if i was going to have cannabis as as something Mm -hmm. to smoke and so it wasn't so much the stigma as much as it Mm -hmm. was you know you know 40 is not the time to start smoking and like getting into (laughs) like you know you know smoking lungs and whatever Uh, so Mm -hmm. so i gravitated naturally towards oils and 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 other things like that there are no edibles in quebec uh, as you may or may not know um Mm -hmm. unless you make them yourself and uh so that is you know where it's not so much always stigma attached but it's you know why start that yeah. when there's so many other options available um in that way Absolutely.
2: That's why in Alberta we have the Alberta Advantage where edibles are totally legal and you can just go down to your private cannabis store anywhere you want and that's what I've personally found is that I've never really I've I've smoked marijuana in my past mm. but I've really enjoyed the edibles right yeah. now where um I, it's even what my doctor recommended. My doctor, uh, I had a liver transplant. My doctor was saying, you know, avoid smoking it, avoid the inhalation. But if you want, consume the edibles itself. And yeah. I've had a very enjoyable time on that kind of
5: path. Absolutely. Yeah, it's
3: true. And there's so much great innovation happening in market right now. Vapes, you know, the innovations in vapes. Um, there's full spectrum edibles coming to market that really mimic um, the effects of smoking uh, through an edible. So again, legalization is only on year three. So I think you're going to see the legal market and the innovations and in products and and who they speak to um, really, really change. So it's a really exciting time in cannabis and in, in legal cannabis around the
1: world. Uh, weed, weed does not really appeal to me, um, but I have been surrounded by it. I went to theater school and that was basically just everyone always smoking all the time. Um, and then I lived in Vancouver for five years and I actually... I found it really funny because before it was even legal everyone was so public about smoking like you would just see someone on their front porch smoking as if they were smoking a cigarette and like mm-hmm. not even caring a cop would see it and just not really say anything so when it became legal Vancouver did not change it just there was just mm-hmm. more storefronts but that were yeah. mostly already there so I definitely <laughs> yeah. seen seen the changes but in, in my research there was I was looking up Judaism and marijuana and like, what's the relationship? And there were some people that talked about, well, you know, as a people, we have all this PTSD and we have all this anxiety that we've inherited. And like, that could maybe be a, a reason to explain why Jews have gravitated towards it. And it just kind of made me think like, I know that it's, it's a plant. It is natural, so to speak. But I'm like, is that like the way to deal with it instead of like doing the work to heal our trauma? But then I thought about like wine and ritual and how like we drink in so many of our holidays. And I was just mm-hmm. curious to hear... Your thoughts on that element of cannabis use.
8: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think especially with, with cannabis anyways, for me, some of the, the best moments I have is, is with whether it's sharing a, a join or a little bit of hash with uh, some of my closest friends. And it, for me, cannabis really forces you to be introspective. Um, so, uh, you know, you really look within yourself, um, and, and, and you know, obviously it uh, affects everybody differently and they use it for different reasons, but, uh, you know, I really, I, whenever I do consume, it's, it's, uh, a good, like int- introspective thoughtful moment for myself to, to kind of mm-hmm. peer into.
3: And it's funny, I'm the complete opposite. I don't drink alcohol, never have. When I go to family dinners, it's always like, they're always trying to push wine on me and I'm like, oh, I. I don't drink wine, you know, like I just don't drink alcohol. Um, so it's interesting. Again, it goes back to to my family opening up. My brother-in-law consumes. My sister uh, started consuming later on in life. Um, so it's interesting the dynamics of my family have completely shifted from alcohol to, to cannabis. We're sort of the majority now um, in my family. So that's kind of fun. But um, in terms of trauma, I think, you know, again, being introspective and, and really thoughtful, um, you know, and, and opening up your channels of, of feeling. And and thinking um, cannabis is very helpful for that. Um, and it just, you know, for me, sort of that Jewish trauma is really, uh, you know, away from cannabis, really discussing it with my family has, and, and their history and learning about my family's history and what happened to my family. We lost, I would say, probably the three quarters of our family tree was uh erased um you know in the holocaust so um you know there's a lot of trauma there but we need to deal with it on a, in an introspective level but also speaking about it being open about it and uh, cannabis helps with that sometimes too
8: one of the big motivators for me is uh, like my my father is uh you know the most giving person i've ever met you know like everyone would always come i feel like every all my friends in high school would always come over to my house to hang out with Thori. like that was just the thing because my dad would always cook and give people stuff um and you know he has a lot of clients like he works in construction and he has a lot of clients and he would always grow his plants in the backyard and start making you know his own little oils and cookies and stuff before even before legalization you know and and just having that you know bringing the whole atmosphere of of giving and thoughtfulness and just kind of, you know, so he opened up so many people to be like, oh, wow, you know, you're in pain. Like, don't go off on these prescription drugs. Like try this instead, you know, maybe, you know, because he really does truly care about all of these people. And um, that, you know, so that, that, that was a big motivator for me to get into the industry as well, too. I've always been passionate about it. And especially after leaving um, university, my, my partner and I started uh, the great Canadian hemp company here before legalization and that was like a vegan skincare company and the amount of people coming to us and be like hemp like is that legal like you know that everyone no but no one knew no one no one knew what it was yeah exactly it's like oh mm-hmm. you guys are you're high over there it's like oh it's, it's hemp you know it's the cousin name, but, the but it's yeah. just <laughs> education and that yeah. was really just trying to hammer that home Is just as people are really curious and you know we say oh look cannabis isn't legal it will be soon but hemp is and like hemp was used in building ropes the constitution is written on hemp paper like all these things you know people just don't know um so it all really you know boiling down to that having a platform for education and you know just just seeing how giving like my dad was growing up with stuff like that and 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 allowing us to ask questions both my parents giving us a platform to ask questions you know really made um, my transition into trying things at a young age very very easy because we have that trust and i think that is kind of a, an inherent uh you know aspect to 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 judaism as well too you know being able to openly converse and, and bring those people
2: together and for our listeners who are let's say more novice or beginners and are interested in getting involved more with cannabis what would you recommend? What advice would you offer to to learn a little bit more and then try something?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there's so much great information. Even you know, OCS.ca. Not to push my company's uh, work, you know, but we we do put out a lot of really really great beginner content just about um, you know what things are, what are oils, how they're made. You know, what it was craft cannabis, on and on. Um, how how to how to store something, how to consume it. Um, there's so much great information. Um, really, when you go into the stores, talk to the bud tenders, uh, find out, you know, what products suits you, um, look up the products that you think would be good for you. Um, and just stay away from like what I like to call prohibitionist stigma. So, you know, anti-drug stuff, old uh, old, old wives tales of, you know, it's a gateway drug, you know, all that is being debunked. And I think looking to to new legal sources of information is really important and, and really sifting through the truth. Um, and I think for people who are afraid of sort of the criminal aspect, drugs are bad, um, you know, I think looking into the history of the criminalization of cannabis, how it came to be um, sort of the racial aspects of it um, will really be mind opening to realize that sometimes things are illegal, not because they're necessarily bad, quote unquote, but because there was other motives behind them. Um, so I think those are two really key things for new consumers to look at is the history and the and the forward and the new products and how to use them, um, what would best suit them uh, for consumption. Maybe you don't want to smoke flour. Maybe you want, you want to um, vape dry flour. Maybe you want to vape a, a concentrate, right? Like it, really find your, your niche and start slow and go from there. Don't eat 30 edibles at once. Don't finish a vape cart. <laughs> you know, have one edible, have one puff, wait a few minutes, see how you feel. And, uh, and go from there. So start slow and, uh, and grow to where you are comfortable. And you're, you know, don't, you don't, you don't need to be a
0: pot hero. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's the same advice. It's the same advice I, as a rabbi would give to anybody who's becoming more observant, right? Start slow. Don't look at the old information. Look at the new sources, right? Figure out your niche in the Jewish community mm-hmm. and go for it. Yeah,
2: exactly. There you go. I,
8: I think, yeah, just what Abby was saying, ask, ask, don't be afraid to ask questions. Like go, you know, when you go into any retail location you know, bud tenders are used to people asking questions. So, you know, just shoot, ask away the same thing as you would do if, if it's you going into a bar, you know, like what kind of cocktails for you? Everyone has a different palate. Everyone's endocannabinoid system is different. So really don't be afraid to, to ask questions. And like, you know, like they were saying is, you know, yeah. start low and go slow.
0: I got one last question, uh, probably more geared towards uh, Iran, but uh, Abby, you probably have some insight into this as well. Um, the more I uh, we've been talking about this for the past half hour or so, um, the more I think that a wonderful marketing opportunity for Bonjour Chai would be to have our own branded strain of. Um, you know of of cannabis um how realistic is that uh how do we go about making this happen don't, should we be talking about this offline is this uh, uh do you think that we can get a frozen chosen strain on the shelves at some point in the near future
8: oh i mean i think if, if, if we want to get a, a strain on the shelf we should be chatting more with abby on that one but uh no but yeah absolutely no no we we love the idea of collaboration and uh, very, very open to that. And I think we should definitely continue the conversation offline and see what we can do. Um, Yeah. I mean, it'd be very fun. No, I like, (laughs) likewise we would love that. And from a regulatory
3: perspective, just to go in there is uh, all you really need is a a licensed processor um, that can that has their sales amendment to sell into the provinces, and then from there you're good. Um, and uh, so anything, the world is your oyster. Just follow the regs, read C forty five, and uh, that's all you really need in life.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. What's your favorite Jewish uh, cannabis pun? Quick, like Ooh, the kosher um, kush, and everybody goes for the stuff uh, like that. Like-
8: I, I like it's, it's it's almost time to get high. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. There's that's there's a, a bunch. Them,
0: yeah. <laughs> Awesome!
8: I
3: actually really like their Oi Vapes. Uh, th- their names for their um, for their vapes were
8: awesome. I thought they were really great. I'm <laughs> super you. pumped yeah.
3: to uh, to get a cart. I, I appreciate.
8: Pre- I you have no idea the pushback that I was getting when my partner and I when we had proposed the <laughs> Gefilte Fish yeah. one. everyone's like, no one's gonna
6: buy that. I'm like, no, no. I, I,
8: I would as
0: long as it's got a little horseradish <laughs> <laughs> and a <laughs> little I'm carrot. I'm seeing David right hear. now <laughs> saying to himself Gefilte. <laughs> Vape with a little bit of yeah. horseradish vape and a little puff oh, on the okay. side. Yeah. And a I carrot. am down to try that. And a little carrots, you- carrot vape on the top of that. Yeah, anyways.
5: You can yeah. just see it
8: all laid out on the table during the there It's just. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Idan, Abby, this has been wonderful. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Uh, happy Purim to all of you um, and uh, enjoy. All
8: right. Thank you for having
3: to us Tada.
0: You can find links to whatever we talked about uh, in the show notes. And as always, we'd love to hear what you think. Email us at bonjour at the cjn.ca to let us know.
5: Uh, so I was like, oh, fuck it. I was just trying to, I'll go single. And she set me up on a table with all her like Jewish lawyer friends. I know that's a stereotype, but in this case, it's, it's very apt, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <coughs> and so I was sitting with them trying to have this one-night stand. I also, an orthodox Jewish wedding. Like, I'm glad that Jews don't believe in hell, because if that were a Catholic wedding, it would be like, go straight to hell, do not have to go, do not have <laughs> go <laughs> uh, That is, like, the worst. And so, and on top of that, uh, again, like, not drinking. Uh, but then, also, Jewish weddings happen on a Sunday, so it's really hard to hook up on a Sunday night when you've got the whole work week ahead of you. Uh, I mean, for me as a comedian, not so much because I didn't have a job the next day. But like for gainfully employed women who I'm trying to sleep with, you know, if they actually want to, you know, go to work and focus on their careers instead of hooking up with a bro comedian, uh, I just don't understand.
0: You just heard from Dan Rosen, a playwright, improviser, and comic from Toronto. Our word of wisdom this week comes from Rabbi Mark Fishman of Congregation Beth Tikva in Montreal, Quebec. He recorded this from the airport in Warsaw, Poland, where he and several other rabbis went to aid refugees leaving Ukraine. To hear the full interview, listen to our sister podcast and visit their page at the cjn.ca slash daily.
6: Something which is so powerful. If I can just just add something which is so powerfully um, a, a footnote to that comment is really the Jewish principle found in the Torah of not hating an Egyptian. If there would be any nation that the Jewish people would naturally harbor resentment and animosity towards, it would be the Egyptians, and the reason given because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Notwithstanding the brutality that we suffered at their hands, we were residents in their land. And I am struck by the fact that yes, the brutality, and sometimes murderously so, that the Jewish community has suffered in Ukraine and in Poland, and yet it is the Jewish people, whether represented by on-the-ground aid organizations or extensions of Israeli NGOs, it is an incredible irony that can give hope in this darkness, that it is us who have suffered so much persecution who are at the forefront of giving help and assistance. And now it's on the show where we
0: list our Nachas of the Week, the things that make us feel good about being uh, Jewish and uh, and or Canadian uh, this past week. David, what's been your Nachas? Okay, are you familiar at all with Roots Metal, you two?
1: Yeah, I follow that account on Instagram.
2: Roots Metal. No, I'm not. Roots Metal. She's pretty big on the gram. She posts like a lot of helpful information regarding Jewish life, Jewish politics. She posts a lot, she's been posting a lot about Ukraine and Jewish history and like very easy to follow captions. She's pretty wonderful. She put together uh, this compilation of fairy tales called The Witches of Eshkazu and Other Jewish Fairy Tales. It's a very short read. I finished it in like one bath time sitting. You know, some of, the, some of the fairy tales are from like that we'll be familiar with, like The Golem and others that you may have heard of. She also makes jewelry too. Follow her on Instagram. But basically, I just want to shout out my nachas to her fairy tales, her book of The Witches of Eshkazoo. Cool. It was really wonderful to hear some stories that I had never heard before. Be fun. Yeah. Very cool. Very Alana,
0: cool. what's your nachas?
1: Um, my nachas goes to my future sister-in-law, Hannah Sroer, who just started a new book review column at the CJN. So now uh, CJN is running in the fam. Uh, She put out her first article uh, where she reviewed All the Shining People by Kathy Friedman and I Am My Beloveds by Jonathan Papernick. And uh, word on the street is that she's been already getting unsolicited requests for book reviews. So it seems like it's a hit.
0: When you start doing book reviews, you start getting galleys and just they start stacking up.
1: Yeah, that's what happens. What about you, Avi? Um
0: I I'm I'm not a. Big Nachas person about past events. Um, not that there's anything wrong with those, but that tends to not be my, my wheelhouse. But I did an, uh, I did a really really fun event last night, um, and so so that was my Nachas. It was very it was one of the highlights of the week. Absolutely, actually, um, it was an otherwise chock full week filled with like meetings and calls and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. Um, but I did a cocktail event for the State of Israel Bonds Rabbinic Advisory Council. Wow. Um, so I did a cocktail. So I taught cocktails to forty plus rabbis um, and taught Torah with them. And I mean, this is like, you know, next level because I didn't have to just teach the basics. I got to teach, you know, rabbi puns and in-depth Torah learning about like pieces of Talmud about alcohol and wine and what it does to you and all that. Um, it was a lot of fun and, you know, it's great to teach a group that appreciates, you know, like my humor. And like, you know, our producer, Michael, right, for one, who just <laughs> will always, like, You made him laugh a bad-mouthed. lot
1: today, though, at your <laughs> I intro. I don't do think you were looking at the screen, but he was laughing and a lot of thumbs up. So okay, well, you did good. It only took one year and one extra <laughs> Maybe it's
0: because I gained my, like, comedy legs last night with <laughs> yeah. all of the rabbi humor, you know, talking about, like, Hillel, the, the mixologist who was asked, teach me all of cocktail, you know, all there is to know about cocktails on one foot, and then he went and said, spirits, sugar, water, bitters. And all the rest is commentary. <laughs>
2: Did you teach about Judaism and its influences with marijuana at all?
1: Uh,
0: no, because that was uh, not the topic. I was making cocktails and uh, it was not a cannabis.
1: <laughs> David's uh, like uh, really <laughs> pushing today. He's like, oh, you need to sing like a sing at your workshop that has nothing to do with the singing. And then you need to teach.
2: No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I hear what I want to hear, okay? And I, I, I give out my suggestions. They may be rejected by you. But I think, I think there is a place for these things, Alana, at, at your seder. And marijuana with Abby. Cocktails with rabbis. Always a fun time.
0: Thank you for listening to Bozher Chai for the week ending March 12th. Shabbat Vayikra and Shabbat Zachor. Our producer is Michael Freeman, who, by the way, is also a stand-up comedian in his own right and has promised us a bit at the end of the credits. Our technical producer is Andre Goulet. Our music is by So Called. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at the cjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm
1: Ilana Zakon.
0: And I'm David Sklar.
2: I was raised under uh, under the old Judaic maxim of uh, whatever doesn't kill you is probably still anti-Semitic. My father is extremely paranoid as a Jewish man. He blames everything that is wrong in his life on an anti-Israeli conspiracy. Including me. I <laughs> went to see Domas with the Zohan last summer. The projector broke down. He started screaming about Arabs. <laughs> sent me to a, my parents sent me to a strictly Zionist elementary school where if you so much as mention Christianity, then if you sit inside during recess and listen to klezmer folk music for half an hour. I uh, hated everything about that school. The teachers were the absolute worst. There was one teacher who taught history and phys ed. Like combining the two. So in gym class, he made us build pyramids and chant. <laughs>